me realize that it was, was it Tim Keller who, um, who this was kind of the idea that we're laying down kindling and we're asking the Lord to move and ignite. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's what this whole weekend has really been about um, is just having speakers, men and women that we really love and trust, helping us think through what would it look like to pursue the presence of God? Um, and then how does that change our relationships? And so what I want to highlight for this session is that our uh, single session on and couple session on Thursday and our uh, parent session on Wednesday were really a complement to this session right here. And so this is the one about primarily pursuing the presence of God um, as followers of Jesus. And then those sessions are really about how um, what we'll learn today should shape our um, most proximate relationships. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that for you. So as you are processing what you learned in those larger sessions on Wednesday and Thursday, and um, this should shape how you go back and, and consider them. And so just wanted to bring that to your attention. And so, um, yeah, I know that we have also thrown a lot of topics. I heard that breakout sessions went really well this morning, and we have another one um, this afternoon at 11. So we have um, one for couples, one for single men, and then one for parents. And so um, now I was on the couple session on Thursday evening, um, in the singles one, of course, as well, and just was like, oh, yeah, we just threw some big stuff at you guys. And so um, I say that, and um, they've not asked me to say this, but know that our elders, you guys so so much and it truly is their delight and joy to walk with you and so if something popped up in any of the breakout sessions or in those larger sessions that um i know that they would love to talk and pray and consider um some of those things with you and so same thing with our staff we would love to walk with you um, and so that could just be something as simple as hey um, was in the session it was really great here's something i learned that i'm trying to process through and it can be just as simple as that and we would love to know that and to be able to walk with you um in that and so um while i have a captive audience you know, I love a captive audience. I did want to say a very happy two-year anniversary to Kyle Worley. He's going to hate that, but here we are. Um, Kyle, what a joy it is to be pastored and led by you. Lots and lots of things could be said about how wonderful you are, your integrity, how much just a joy it is to work with you. Um, but the most important thing is that um, it is a gift to be pastored by you. And so happy two years, brother. Um, I know Lauren's back there. Lauren, you know, yeah, you're a big part of that. <laughs> so thank, thank you. you. That's very kind. Thank you. Uh, and then, yeah, so it's going to so excited to have Bo here. So I'm already said that Bo is the lead pastor of the Village Church Denton. Um, somewhat in tandem to what I said about Kyle and Bo, um, you know, at Mosaic, one of our big things is being hyper-local and really being present with people. And um, you were one of the first pastors that really I saw that vision lived out in. And so um, you have challenged and commended just the value of being committed to people in a place. And so I'm personally thankful for your ministry in that and, and know that it's shaped me and how um, I think what we're doing at Mosaic. And so just in that we love you and value you um, and you have, yeah, you are just an exemplary pastor in so many ways. And so just really grateful that you would be willing to give your time and energy to our people today. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's it. The only last thing I would say is that we will have Q&A at the very end. And so we have a chat box there. Um, you can send questions directly to uh, what would be Mosaic Church. Um, and that way, when we go through them at the very end, um, your questions can be sent there. Okay, well, I think that's all I have. Um, yeah, I'm gonna introduce Bo. So Bo um, is married to Kimberly and they have four kiddos. Um, and I know a few of them at least are in school age. And so he, yeah, it's what a lot of our parents especially are walking through in this season and so and um, we've been in Denton for a long time um, and just loving and serving the people there and so Bo like I said glad to have you here with us um, I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna transition over to you 
Father, we do we just thank you. We thank you for this morning, for the gift that it is um, to be your people, um, just that you have um, called us to yourself. And that is, that is the goal. That is the privilege that we have. And so as we consider what it means to practically pursue your presence, I just pray that you would, um, yeah, just help us to take away one tangible thing and that we might be able to, um, yeah, just as we've talked about, lay kindling down. And um, we know that you are the goal, you are our prize. And so in a season where there's so much competing for our attention and so much competing for our heart, and um, we just pray um, that you would um, help us to set our eyes firmly on you. And so thank you for these men and women who have joined us this morning. And um, I pray against distractions that I know are um, probably crouching very closely. Um, and just ask that you would guard and protect our time. I pray all these things in Jesus name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, it's a joy to, to be with you this morning. I know that many of you have not had the privilege of meeting, and uh, even now, not having the privilege of being with you. I was supposed to come preach before COVID came through, and so that was one of the saddest things that has come about, is that uh, I didn't get to do that, but uh, I'm grateful to be here with you this morning, and I, I love your church. You know, I have the joy of getting to see Antonia semi-regularly, and certainly just her, or her, um, friendship and, uh, and even encouragement in the Lord. And uh, for me, for my family has been something that I've cherished over the years, sister. And um, certainly I love and deeply respect Kyle and am honored two years today. I'm going to celebrate right now. Yeah. And uh, no, I won't. I won't go into a tirade about how godly and encouraged I am by uh, how, how spurred along I am by your godliness and love. But uh, I've been praying for you as a church since before you were born. And I remember uh, certain conversations I had with Kyle. And so the opportunity to worship with you today and even to be a part of this uh, kindling conference is a, is a real honor. And I hope to impart some grace as, I, as I'm with you. And um, my role, as I assume you know, is to help us think about and envision our lives as Christians and your life as a church in response to the question, what would it look like to have a life marked by a quality of presence with God? And what are some practices to move toward that reality? So just thinking about presence and practice. And so if you have your Bibles there next to you, I'd love for you to turn to the epistle of James, um, chapter 4. James 4, and um, as you're turning there, uh, I, I was telling Kyle earlier before you guys jumped on the call that, um, you know, as we think about these things together today, I'm truly thinking about them with you. Them assigning me this topic has sent me down a rabbit hole of thinking about my entire spiritual life, my heritage, and even kind of where I'm at today. And so I'm working this out in real time with you. I'm not bringing you something that I've sort of worked out and feel great about in my own life in regards to practicing the presence of God. Uh, I'm thinking about it afresh. And so I hope that's okay. And, uh, and it's a little messy, uh, even for me, as I'm still sorting through some of it. But James 4, this is, it's a part of James's letter where he's actually kind of uh, correcting um, some people in the church there. And he says this to them. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on those passions, to spend it on your passions. And he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James says. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And um, <clears throat> don't worry, I'm not going to spend a lot of time correcting you this morning, but I do want to highlight in the midst of that correction that sentence there where James said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I want to think about those, those categories, presence, God drawing near to us, and practice, us drawing near to God. And so presence and practice. And I want to start with presence. I want to start actually the opposite way James said that sentence of God drawing near. And I want to ask you that, uh, you know, when, when you think about the presence of God, what comes to your mind? And so when James says here, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, what does it mean in your mind when you envision God drawing near to you? And uh, maybe some of you can relate to this, but, you know, over the last number of years and even here recently, as I mentioned earlier, I, I've looked back and I've realized uh, just sort of how foundational and shaping even uh, abstract, uh, experiential, emotional language about God, some of that language even from the Bible, but other places as well, but how much this abstract, experiential, emotional language about God and His presence, how foundational and shaping it's been to my faith. When I became a Christian, my freshman year of college, you know, the first book I was given to read as a new Christian by a friend of mine was a book called The Pleasures of God. And the opening quote in that book, it says, quote, I went and found it. It says, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. And the tagline of the ministry that actually published that book is that it says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Many of you have heard that before, but do you hear the abstract language in both that sentence and even that tagline, worth, excellency, glorified, satisfied? It's these big transcendent ideas that aren't necessarily super concrete, and, uh, and, and that's what abstract language is. It's language which communicates certain things in, in really in beautiful ways, but without a sort of physical or concrete application, and that for me was the foundation of at least the vocabulary of my faith, if not the entire paradigm of my faith, because it wasn't just that book, that, that those around me, those who discipled me and gave me that book even, they, they used similar language and they would often quote scriptures that, that talk about tasting or delighting or, or drawing near to God. And, and one of the first scriptures I ever heard preached on was Psalm 1611 that says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence... There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Another psalm that was quoted really early again and again and again by those around me was Psalm 63.3 that says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And, and actually both Psalm 16.11 and Psalm 63.3 
those hang on my daughter's bedroom wall today. And, and so it was, it, was, it was this language again, and, and in addition to the books I was reading, the language from scripture and otherwise that was being preached, there were the songs that I was singing, right? And we know that songs, as much as anything, form us. The songs that we sing, songs drenched in the same sort of language. And, uh, and, and, and one of my best friends, in fact, that was a part of this initial group that discipled me in the way of Christ, he's a songwriter. And I actually remember coming in from a jog at the house when he had just finished writing a song based on Psalm 73, 28, it says, but for me, it is good to be near God. And the whole song is a prayer for God, really just to be near. And, uh, and it, along with other songs like it, it was sort of the soundtrack to my Christian discipleship, and in many ways, still is. And so all that to say, and, and again, maybe you can relate, maybe not, but when I became a Christian, everything I was reading, everything I was hearing, everything I was singing affirmed the importance of God's presence. And a certain emotional experience, a taste, a sense of fullness or satisfaction and joy that went along with God's presence. And indeed, this was the aim and the apex of the Christian life to me, as far as I knew it, seeking and finding the nearness, the presence of God, and experiencing, as subjective and fleeting as it may have been, the positive emotions that accompanied that presence. And so in every aspect of my vision for the Christian life, whether it was a quiet time on a Saturday morning, or gathering with the church on Sunday, or fighting sin on Tuesday, or giving spiritual counsel to a friend on Friday, that was the bullseye. For me, the nearness of God, God being most glorified in me as I was experiencing the most satisfaction in my life in him. And, and what I want to say is that I'm really, really grateful for this foundation. Uh, though, though I look back now and I see some limitations and even gaps that came with it, uh, I, I praise God that when I was born again, that uh, I was given a vision of the Christian life that was filled with emotion and beauty. And, uh, and I actually shudder to think about, uh, as internally driven as I am, what kind of dry, achievement-oriented vision of spiritual formation I would have created for myself and for everyone around me without a foundation that was centered on experiencing rather than achieving for God. And so I praise God for my spiritual heritage, as abstract as the language that was so foundational in those days was. And I thank God for the emphasis that it had and it played from the Bible and, and sort of teaching me on about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And yet, as I've grown and had the opportunity to think more about this foundation, uh, I've done that. And, uh, and I've thought about, even in preparation for talking with you, I've thought about some of the unique confusions and the unique struggles that were sort of smuggled into my faith journey early on through the beautiful, emotional, abstract language and vision that sort of lay at the heart of it. And ironically, in many ways, I turned experiencing God and his presence into something that I could achieve. And, uh, and that's another story for another day. But as it connects to our topic today, as I've matured in Christ, and what I want to lead you to ask this morning, my journey has led me to ask questions like, what actually is the presence of God? Like when I say and sing and ask God as we should to be near, what in my mind am I asking for? What, what am I assuming about God's nearness? 
how do I know if he's drawn near or not? And I've thus experienced his presence or not. And so I, I would ask you today, even as I've asked myself, what comes to your mind when you think about the presence of God? What does God's nearness, his drawing near mean in your mind? Is the, is the nearness or the presence of God like it was for me for many years somewhat synonymous in your mind with a particular emotional experience? Is his presence something that you connect to singing, uh, to reading, to walking on the beach or hiking in the mountains? Is presence with God something you understand yourself to uh, be something you, you're to seek? something you're simply to just acknowledge? Is it, is it both? How, how do you really know if God is drawn near to you? Is it something that you feel or that you can sort of intuit through maturity and wisdom and years of practice? And all those questions, and that's a whole lot, I'm sorry. What, what I'm wanting to communicate is having clarity to what God's presence is for what it means for him to draw near to us is it's important because it shapes what we're after. What we're pursuing is the bullseye of the Christian life, or at least what we're talking about here in this session and clarity about that. It can really help guard us from feeling like God has abandoned us or doesn't care about us or that he's not near when he really is. And and that's one of the things that, wonderful as my foundation in Christ was and is, that's one of the things that, that was left lacking for me. My sense of whether or not God was near, more often than not, was based upon particular emotions that I was or was not experiencing at that given moment when I was reading or singing or just uh, repenting of sin, even, as James was encouraging toward. And and so when I would say, as I've learned looking back, when I would say, God, draw near to me, what I was often saying in actuality was, God, help me feel more joyful or help me sense more peace or please comfort my anxiety or release me from my anger or strengthen me in my weariness or cause the darkness or the sadness or the shame that I feel to go away, to lift. And of course, all of those are wonderful prayers for us to pray. But because I had not clarified what God's nearness was, I assumed at least subconsciously that it was sort of synonymous with a certain emotional regulation or experience in my life. And, and thank God, what I've learned, what I've added upon my foundation over the years is that it's not. God's presence, God's nearness is not bound by or dependent upon my emotions, as important as our emotions are. And, and friends, as inconceivable as it is, God is actually omnipresent. And for those of us who've been united to Christ by his spirit, which I'd assume is all of us on this call, or at least most all of us, the Lord Jesus is not only with us always, as he promised in Matthew 28, but he's actually within us. By his spirit, the Lord Jesus mysteriously dwells in us. And for those of us who want to draw near to God, that he might draw near to us, this is glorious, liberating news, because it means that in Jesus Christ, God is already drawn near to us, and is ever presence, present with us and in us by his Spirit all the time. Like, so close is he, even right now, that in him we live and move and have our being. And, and brothers and sisters, do you believe this? 
Do you know this, that in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, our God, is near to you right now? He's near to us, whether we feel it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. Sister, brother, we are children of God, and God, our Father, loves us, and in love, He is always present, always ready to re-express and re-testify His Spirit to ours of His steadfast love for us as His children. And this, I think, gets us closer to the heart of what James means here when he writes to the church, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What James is picturing here, through this spatial language even of drawing near, it it almost seems to me an echo of what Jesus taught through the parable of the two sons. In Luke chapter 15, if you remember that parable, the the prodigal son and then the older brother, and and the picture that that Jesus sort of paints there of God's presence, of God drawing near, even as Jesus himself was drawing near to eat with tax collectors and sinners, which is what prompted the parable to begin with, the picture of God's nearness that Jesus paints is this loving father waiting on the porch for his rebellious son to return home. And though there was great distance, so to speak, between the father and the prodigal son due to the son's wandering, the father was pictured as being right there in the parable. He was always near, even in the distance. And, and yet, as Jesus tells the parable, though already present, when his son came home, when his son drew near, the father saw him and drew even nearer to the son. He ran out and he embraced him and he kissed his son. And even at the end of the parable, the father did the same thing, picturing God's heart for the Pharisees. He, he drew near to the older son, even as he told the son, I was always here. Everything that, that was was mine has always been yours. I've always been right here. And yet he went out there, drew near to his older son, just as he had done the younger son. And so, brothers and sisters, when we think about presence, God drawing near to us, what I want to remind you of, even as I remind myself this morning, is that for those of us in Christ, God is always near. He is already and always present in your life. He never leaves the porch, so to speak, when it comes to his children. And and what that means then is that every single day comes with an invitation for us to remember and acknowledge and orient ourselves toward his presence, to draw near to him with full assurance that as we do, he will draw near to us. And though his presence, though his drawing near doesn't always feel or taste the same to us, right? Some days God's nearness will be accompanied by fullness of joy brimming over in terms of our experience. His drawing near will taste, as the psalmist said, good, better than even the best wine. It will feel like an embrace. And perhaps even sometimes it will be more concrete, like like his, the demonstration of his nearness will include a dream that he gives to us. Or it'll come through a song or a sermon or a phone call that directly and unmistakably ministers to us and the hopes and the burdens that we're carrying that day. Sometimes that will happen when God draws near, but then other days, God's nearness will seem tasteless. There won't be any positive feelings or experiential goodness attached to it, even if you sing your favorite song. It's just not there. And, uh, and, and what I want you to know is that though God's presence, though his drawing near, it won't always taste or feel or manifest the same way, it's always sure for us as children of God. As surely as the coming of the dawn, when we draw near to our God and Father who is already with us, He draws even nearer to us in love. 
which of course brings us back to the first part of what James said to the church, then draw near to God. So that's the presence of God, God drawing near to us, draw near to God, practice. How, how do we do that? How can we remember and acknowledge and orient ourselves toward God's presence each day in trust that as we do, as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Well, thankfully, um, in answer to that question, as your pastor put it to me, there are many well-trod paths of drawing near to God. It sounds like something Kyle would say, just as an aside, just he didn't even try, it just, just comes out of his, his heart. But uh, there are, there are many well-trod paths of drawing near to God. Those that have gone before us in the faith, including the Lord Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, they have blazed many trails for us, practices to help us remember and acknowledge and orient ourselves to, to God day by day. And, uh, and in the context of what James wrote here, if you're still looking in James 4, which is connected, I think, uh, to the parable Jesus told in Luke 15, what we see is that confessing and repenting of our sin against God, actively resisting the temptations that we face to walk in the spirit of the world instead of the spirit of the Lord, th those are ways that James here pictures of how we draw near to God, right? Humbling and submitting ourselves to God's word, resisting the devil, and all that James lists here connected with it are examples of many well-trod paths and practices of drawing near to God. There's, there's all sorts of ways we can draw near to God. But today I just want to offer you one practice of drawing near to God. And I think it's a practice that really more than offering it to you, it's not new. I'm just reminding you, it won't come as a surprise. And that is the practice of prayer. And more particularly, the practice of slowing down each day, if not multiple times each day, to pray the prayer that Jesus gave us as his disciples, the Lord's Prayer. And so if you have your Bible, why don't you just flip it over to Luke 11 really quickly? Because in Luke 11, we see Jesus giving his disciples a practice uh, that he intends to serve them as they draw near to God together as a community. Chapter 11 of, of Luke, he says this, it says, Luke tells us, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So in other words, te teach us how to draw near to God. Teach us how to pray like you do. And, and, and this, this question here, verse 1, sort of frames up the entire passage. And Luke, had, if you've read Luke, you know, in, in chapter 5, he, he told us already that often Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would draw near to God in that way. This was a habit of his life. And so the disciples, they're obviously aware of this habit. And here, provoked by seeing him in prayer once again, one of the disciples finally just asked Jesus, hey, man, you teach us how to do that? Teach us how to do what you're doing to pray. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And this, of course, is the prayer that's typically referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, there's a theologian named Justo Gonzalez that says, you know, the first surprise in Jesus's response to his disciples' request to teach them to pray is that Jesus actually gives them a specific prayer to pray. And Gonzalez says, quote, you know, part of the reason why this surprises us in the church today in the West is that we tend to think about 
you know, the relationship between attitude and action, in other words, between belief and habit, it's sort of what he calls unidirectional, that our attitude leads to an action, right? A belief leads to an action. But, but Gonzalez says, but the converse is also true. Action shapes our attitude, right? Our habits shape our belief. And so not only do our desires and beliefs shape and determine what we do, what we do, including what we pray, you know, shapes and determines what we desire. And so the habit of praying this prayer, of practicing this prayer, shapes us, in other words, from the outside in. And that surprises us to think, why would Jesus give them that prayer? It seems sort of legalistic. Well, no, he knows that this prayer will shape them in a particular way. And, you know, I wish I had known this growing up. This, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it just always felt so colloquial to me. It was just sort of this cultural prayer that Christians and others seem to recite dutifully. You know, you do it in church, you do it at, after the coach gave a profanity, you know, lace tirade, and then you, our Father, you know, and uh, it's just like, what, what, what is this prayer? It's just sort of this thing that lost its meaning, and, uh, and I assume many of us grew up in Christian churches or tradition where this prayer was a weekly, um, if not a daily, prayer that was encouraged, and in my immaturity, which I'm not meaning to project on you, I just assumed that because it was so rote and routine and ubiquitous, it was all over the place, culturally, that the prayer wasn't sincere if it was repeated so often. It just felt insincere. It felt less genuine than this sort of spontaneous prayer I would pray based on my emotions of the moment. And certainly that can be true, but what can also be true is that the habit and repetition of praying this prayer again and again and again gets it into us, gets it into our heart, into our spiritual muscle memory a muscle memory that is inclining us to draw near to God as often as we pray it. And that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, just as a side comment, you know, the other thing I wish I'd have known about this prayer is that, you know, religious teachers in the day of Jesus often would teach specific prayers like this one to the community of their disciples to mark off the disciples from other communities of disciples. And so one of the primary ways that you knew which teacher the community of disciples followed is by the prayer they prayed. And you knew that a community of disciples shared the same teacher because they prayed the same prayer. And that's why the disciple asked Jesus to teach them to pray, just like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And so this prayer that Jesus gives us to regularly pray and to help us draw near to God, it's also a prayer that's meant to mark off our identity as his followers, because the citizens of God's kingdom are those who pray the king's prayer that he gave us. And one of the habits, one of the practices of drawing near to God that we share in common with all of our brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter our temperament. Doesn't matter whether we're a, what's that temperamental test? I've never taken it. Uh, the, the big, the Enneagram. That one, everybody goes crazy about the Enneagram. Doesn't matter whether you're a two or an eight or a 12. I don't know how many there are. Doesn't, it doesn't matter this prayer is something we share with all of our brothers and sisters, not just in this church, but around the world in terms of how we draw near to God. And as we do, as we slow down each day or, or several times each day, and, and, and this prayer provides a backbone for us, we are remembering and acknowledging and orienting ourselves toward God's presence with both the saints around us and the saints that have come before us. We are doing that. We're drawing near to God. And, and I have found, 
as I've tried to make this prayer the plumb line of my day over the last couple of years, it just helps me orient myself, however I'm feeling, whatever's going on, to the reality that God is near. And it helps me to draw near to God. And so, uh, so church, I just want, I want you to hear this good news that in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has, despite our sin and rebellion and refusal to acknowledge or submit ourselves to his presence and his reign in our lives, he has drawn near to us. And through his son, through Jesus's perfect life and sacrificial death in our place for our sins on the cross, the veil of the temple, which kept us from God's presence, which, by the way, is not where we started in Genesis. And that veil was torn in two, and through his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection and ascension and his sending of his spirit, we've been united to God. We can't get closer to him. We're in him, and he's in us. We're all sealed up by the spirit, waiting for the day of redemption, our inheritance. He's with us. And so in light of that gospel, draw near to God. And trust that as you do, not only is he already near you, he will draw even more near in the ways that we've seen pictured in scripture. So I, I want to pray. I know this is from Q&A, but I just want to pray and, and, and then we can do a, a Q&A. Father in heaven, our Father, we do pray that you would hallow your name among us. Your name is holy, but we pray you'd make it so among us. You'd make it honored, seen, valued in our lives. What we do with our eyes and our ears and our mouths and our fingers as we type and tweet and hallow your name among us as your people. And Lord, we do pray for your kingdom to come. Lord, even as our church, we buried a one-year-old yesterday and we recognized that this isn't it. Your will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we ask for that. We long for that together. Lord, we pray that you would give us today, even through these breakout sessions and time on Zoom, muted, give us today our daily bread. Even as we ask you to forgive us of our sins, or to humble ourselves, as James told us, to submit ourselves to you in areas where we have not. This week, this day, this hour, would you forgive us, Lord, even as we forgive those, we release those that are indebted to us, that have sinned against us, Lord. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us, we pray, from the evil one. All of his schemes, teach us to resist him, Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. 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 Thank you, Bo. Brother, I'm so grateful for you and for your ministry and for your time with us today. Um, we're going to take the next few minutes um, and address some questions. And so if you have a question, you can message me directly in the chat feature. Um, that's better than muting and unmuting. That way you don't have to worry about all the sound we might pick up and mic feedback. So if you've got a question, you can message me. I've got a couple here um, that I'll ask um, and we'll take the next 10, 12 minutes or so to talk through some things. The, one of the first questions that came through was, Bo, what, what do you say to somebody who feels like they've been a, in a prolonged season 
of felt distance from the Lord. So it feels like I've been under a dark cloud and it feels like, man, my prayers are hitting the ceiling. It feels like there's little joy in God's word um, and there's little joy in fellowship. How do you encourage a person who says, you know, I, I really like, I can remember there when there have been times of true conviction, of true delight, of true joy in God's presence. But this is one of a, a prolonged season where it feels like there's greater distance. What do I, how do you how do you care for somebody? How do you encourage them? Well, the first thing is just to affirm that acknowledgement. I'm so thankful that whoever asked that question, I mean, just to say that is good. That's right. And and I would encourage them not to panic. You know, that is, I mean, gosh, you read the history of people that we put on posters for stuff um, throughout the history of the church, and you go read their diaries, and they're just long, dark nights where they're questioning if they're even children of God, you know, and yet here they are in our minds. They're out here doing all these marvelous things for the Lord. They seem like they're always joyful. So I guess to say that we're in good company, I mean, most especially Jesus, who experienced that sort of, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me, you know, um, so no, don't don't panic about it. And and I think one of the things I'm I'm recognizing is, and as good as that desire is to want to feel those things again, to want to experience those things again, to want there to be warmth and whatever abstract words, emotional words from the Bible, and otherwise we would use to sort of connect to our reading of Scripture or whatever else. That's that, affirm that, want that, and uh, and 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 just at the same time recognize, and this gets real practical for me man, what I experienced when I was 19 and became a Christian, and even the time I had to give myself to attune myself to pursue certain experiences, now that I'm a 38-year-old with four children, you know, under the age of 10, man, there's just certain physical, emotional responsibilities, realities, whatever else that plays into my body and its emotions and all the stuff. And so, I guess one of the things I would caution people is men not to sort of look back and see that as the high watermark in that particular experience or emotional experience. Although I, I'm, I'm hearing and resonating even for myself right now. So I'm partly talking to myself, just of the joy of my salvation, whatever's really meant by that restore to me, the joy of my salvation. I want that. I'm going to wait for that. I'm going to trust you for that. I'm not by myself in experiencing seasons where that doesn't feel like it's the case but at the same time i'm not going to assume that the joy of my salvation is going to look or feel exactly like it did 15 years ago 10 years ago five years ago you know so uh so i don't know i would just say brother sister um man just keep that before other saints and know that you're not alone you're not experiencing as paul or peter said to the church about something else with persecution experience something strange that's not strange um, even though it's not what we desire, obviously, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. I think particularly the distinction between when we first come into uh, this new birth, when we've been born again, and um, we do typically for those of us who experience that at a, young, at a younger age, there just was more space in our life um, for there to be greater intensity maybe around some of that felt experience. Um, we were at a stage in our life where that was maybe more of the natural kind of movements of our heart. 
but it, I think sometimes it's not like an, uh, it's not totally dissimilar to other significant relationships in our lives. Some of my dearest friends are people that I can just be in the same room with, but the adrenaline of the early conversations and our early days is different. We can sit on the back porch of a cabin and just be quiet together. And there's a, there is something significant in that relationship. Whereas early on, it was all about what we were doing together, right? It was all about shared interest and, and here's what we're doing. And I think a lot of times with the Lord in that maturing, um, and in that growing, there's kind of a growing old with the Lord that happens where, where I think it's natural to experience that maybe just some of what our, our time, our presence with the Lord is, is just in the quietness of being with him in the ordinary moments. And those still, whether it's five minutes that you get before the kids wake up, or it's 10 minutes at the end of a lunch hour between when you left work and when you're going back in to a meeting. And so I think that is really helpful that we don't pit those two things together. It's a progression in our relationship with the Lord that just looks different. Yeah, without just assuming, and I want to hold on to that, longing for joy. You yeah, know, absolutely. It's like, I don't want to bury that and think, right. oh, that was so naive back then. It's like, no, it yeah. wasn't. It was actually beautiful, and that's good. Yeah. And so that I want that angst to be there, but at the same time not let it dictate whether or not God's near or how I'm doing in my faith or whatever else. You know? Absolutely. Um, another question that came in, Bo, is when we're thinking about practices, so, you know, God is present to his people because we are in Christ Jesus, and we have confidence to enter his presence because of what Jesus has done. That's what mm-hmm. Tim says. Those practices, um, when it feels like one of them has grown stale, like, because there might be some, um, somebody might come off the call today and be like, you know what, I, I do want to begin to practice a, a pattern of prayer through my days along the lines of the Lord's Prayer. And, and that could be a way that the Lord pulls them into his presence through that practice. Do you find, has there been in your life kind of season where one practice was more of a path that you felt like, man, the Lord is moving? And then when it feels like that one gets hard, do you just go, okay, well, great. There's a, there's, there's a lot of these paths. I'm going to step over here and I'm going to focus more on studying God's word or, or reading or meditating on a single verse or memorization. Do you treat it more of like, uh, this is what I'm doing right now, or man, there's this buffet of things and every day is an invitation to this buffet and I'll pick one of these. Yeah, that's a good question. And, um, I think there are some that form the sort of core, right? And we would all talk about those. So gathering with God's people on the Lord's day for corporate worship, um, you know, then coming out of those corporate habits of worship, there are these other more personal habits of worship or, you know, of, of prayer, you know, ministry of the word. Um, so, so those are the sort of core things that, you know, whatever I feel or don't feel and, how it's expressing itself in unique sense, whether it's the Lord's prayer or some other prayer, you know, I'm, I'm flexible Mm -hmm. with the exact sort of forms or applications, but in terms of the overall essence of these certain habits of worship, man, they're what uh, Charles Duhigg in his book talks about the, the, the keystone habits that shape all of our other habits. Like apparently if you make the bed every day as a habit, if that's your habit, it, it studies have shown, all these other habits for some reason fall into place, which is 
it's good for those of us that make our bed. It's not so good for those that don't. But, but it's, he talks about it being keystone habits, habits that shape all these other habits. And uh, so there's those, but, uh, and I don't know if I'm even answering the question, but yeah, I mean, there's been things in and out where I'm trying to think of something that's more uniquely personal to me, maybe watching sunsets, mm-hmm. you know, that is, uh, maybe you hate sunsets, which I can't imagine, but, um, you know, maybe it doesn't do something to you like it right. does for me. And there's just been in and out of seasons where I've just not even had the opportunity to go watch a lot of sunsets or it's certainly not made it a priority. And yes, yeah. yeah, so there's an ebb and flow to some of those things that are sort of not the keystone habits. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm totally flexible, you know, and again, that's part of the assurance of being anchored in Christ and knowing God's with us and that he's always near to us. And so that I'm just trying to open myself up and be mindful, really, God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear wonderful things in your world that uh, express to me and remind me that you are near and you are good and you are all these things. And that is, that is ever changing, even as I've been changed, you know, so, you know, I'll, yeah, like I, I was at a funeral yesterday with, as I mentioned, this one-year-old, and so there are some things that happen there that are going to forever change me, and every time I see this or hear this, it's going to remind me of God in a different way, you know, and that's never been the case before, so it's always changing some of those things that aren't sort of foundational or keystone? I don't know if that answers the question. Well, I, I think it does. I think it does. And to come alongside that, um, I, I think that one of the hard things that it's been um, uh, for me to learn has been that what you talked about are, are, I often think, well, our beliefs should just drive our habits and our practices. But um, what you talked about with the Lord's Prayer is that, no, there are habits that form our beliefs. I've often thought, well, if I just believe the right thing here, it's just going to like get here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet these practices are ways of kind of driving that home of having the penny drop from our head to our heart uh, yeah. and helping uh, work those things into the spiritual muscle memory of our life. And that just takes, just takes time, right? It's like calloused hands, you know, initially the practices feel like coarse. They feel rough. They're in friction with what our mind and heart wants to do yeah. naturally, but eventually it starts to build up to where we actually begin to delight in them. It, it, mm-hmm. There is something there. I mean, the Puritans pray until you feel like praying, yeah. um, where there's the sense of, as we stay in the presence of the Lord, we, we want it more and more. As we enter into a spiritual practice, it, it, it forms our heart to where we, we, we desire it even more than we did. Well, and we experience that, like I've used jogging as an example, where it's like people that just love running, I do not understand you. Yeah, but, you know, but what, but what I understand is that <clears throat> most people didn't start out that way. And, right. and, and I think studies have shown that it's like nobody started off or very few started off saying, I was born to run 50K. You know, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy that. It's like, how do they do that for so What about that? You talk to them like, oh, they put stickers on their car and it's the whole thing. But it's like, no. And I've experienced this, you know, the first however many weeks of doing it, I hate it. I'm upset. And then it gets to a point where it's like, man, if I miss a jog, as much of a jog walk as it really is in my life, uh-huh. man, I've missed it. Yeah. I start like it, doing the thing. I, if I had waited until I felt like I wanted to run, I would never do it. I would never get out and do it. But then all of a sudden now, 
the habit of doing it. So we see the parallels, I think, in other areas of our life. So I love that. Bo, thank you so much for your time today, brother. I'm just so grateful for you, grateful for your ministry in Denton and its influence near and far. Um, I just want to encourage folks, if you were on this call, we're, this is one of the ones we recorded. You take any two minutes of what Bo shared today mm-hmm. and listen to it again. And I'll tr- like I can, you can take it to the bank. It's going to be valuable. Um, and so I would encourage you to return to this because there is, this was dense uh, and valuable. And so, Bo, I'm so grateful for you. I'm going to pray to close this out. If you're looking for 11 a.m. session, um, I, those links are out there. <laughs> I was going to give you some practical instruction and realize I had none to give. <laughs> Classic. Uh, but uh, but the, the, the links are out there. Anthony, I'll probably throw them in the Slack channel or the chat channel. And so, uh, but couples, you're going to Aspen House to talk about uh, healthy sexual intimacy, singles, single men, you're invited to go talk with Travis Hebert about Christ-like confidence, and parents, Dr. Lucretia Berry is talking about how to talk about race with your kids. And so let me pray for us, and I'd love to just pray a blessing over TVC Denton. Love you guys, love you, Bo. Father, we come before you, we thank you in the name of Christ Jesus that your gospel continues to go forth. We thank you for the ministry of the village church didn't for years god and even as now a pastor who's gotten to welcome some of their members into the life of our church god i am so grateful for the legacy of faithfulness there i'm grateful for the way that Bo's heart uh, as a shepherd has shaped my own and shaped the ministry of mosaic church um, god i thank you that you have drawn near to us in christ jesus and God, that you are inviting us to draw near to you. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you, Bo. There's no way to end a Zoom call that doesn't